Amen. So, Lord, we thank you for Jim. We thank you for his life. We thank you for the message you placed on his heart for us this morning. So I pray now, Jesus, that you'd remove all doubt and just give him the exact confidence in the words that you place on his heart for us. Open our hearts, Lord, on this reciprocating end, Lord, to, uh, to understand what it is that you want to say. Give us hearts to receive this morning in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Yes, we are having the barbecue at our place this weekend, this Wednesday. Now, if you are we looking for our place, it's 135 Tiswick Road. It's the same as my last name, 135. The first three odd numbers, doesn't mean we're odd, but first three odd numbers, 135 Tiswick Road. And don't put Nessie in Perth. You want to put maybe Tay Valley, it may work, or Google it sometimes, because there's a Tiswick Avenue in Perth. But we're west of Perth for about 15 minutes. So if you're in Perth, you're in the wrong place. So, And we can't, we just can't keep up to swarmer and chicken and corn. It's back to hamburgers this week and hot dogs. So, <laughs> so come prepared for not too much. <laughs> but it will be good. As some of you know, the past few weeks I've been taking part on a 30-day discipleship challenge. And it has been a challenge to me. Each day, there's something new comes up for you to do. And near the beginning of the challenge, you're to read Matthew 5 through 7 every day. Now, I don't read it every day. I work through it, so it takes me a few days. But that's been good, but yet a challenge too, because there's a lot, as Dan spoke also from what we call the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of heavy things in there. And two weeks ago... In my time with the Lord, I was reading towards the end of Matthew 7, and that's what I want us to look at this morning and share from that passage. Matthew 7, begin to read from verse 24. Matthew 7, begin to read from verse 24. Anybody need Bibles that want Bibles? Okay, over here. Anyone else? Just pop your hand. Joe will help you. Okay, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." So Jesus concludes these three chapters, what we have in Matthew, three chapters. This message that we see originally to his disciples, but by the time it ends, the crowds have gathered. And he presents us with these two pictures of two different houses, one built on sand, one built on rock. And by all outward appearances, those two houses probably 
looked the same. They are probably beautiful houses. And actually, if you're in our part of the world today in cottage country, we'd probably prefer the house built on the sand. First, that one you had to climb way up, you drive way up with your vehicles and walk down to the beach. We prefer the sandy soil when you, when you just walk outside your cottage. So you can't necessarily tell from the outside what these houses are built on. And it wasn't until the storm came that the difference between the two homes became clear. In both cases, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. But the house's foundation on the rock stood firm, but the house whose foundation is on the sand crashed down, it says, a great crash. And as you probably pick up, as Jesus kind of indicates, so these houses represent two types of people. And again, you might not see much difference between these two people. As they're sitting here this morning, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell who is who. Because outwardly, our foundations can be... Outwardly, we can look good, and inwardly, our foundation can be built on sand or on rock. It wasn't until the storms of life came that it showed the true foundation. And let's be honest, when things are going good, whether we know God or not, life can be good. You know, we can smile when things are going good. There's not much difference between most people in this world when things are going good. It's during the storms of life where we see what our foundation is really laid upon. Both people in this story listened to God's word. They heard the words of Jesus. But it's the one who put those words into practice that Jesus declares to be the wise one, the one who built his life on the rock. Now, we live in an information age. Never before in the history of humanity have we had so much information available to us and so accessible to us as we do in this generation. I think I heard on CBC this week some study in England showed that people were on the devices for 24 hours a week. And they were looking, I don't know, I, don't know, I think they were looking at them but every 12 minutes, 10 or 12 minutes, they said. So the information's out there and many have become what we might call information junkies. And as we know, information can be very helpful. Most of us, we can, you might use it Wednesday night to find my place, to find our place. So we use it to find the weather and all kinds of things. I use it at my work all the time. So information can be helpful. But the danger is that sometimes we can just feel good just because we know so much. We can feel good just because we have such knowledge in our minds. 
There's a sense of achievement in knowing without having done anything with what we know. A second danger is that we become insensitive to what we are taking in. It doesn't affect us anymore. Aid agency speaker speak of donor fatigue. When, after, when there's too many appeals made for funding that those who usually give decide to give up. Giving, because they become tired. They become insensitive to the appeals. And as Christians, we too have so much Christian information, material before us in this day and age. We have Bibles at every reading level. We have them on audio and on, get them on the computer. All I saw on Bible Gateway, I think it said 150 translations or something. And we have them geared towards women, towards men, towards children, towards teens. We just have all kinds of them out there, all kinds of devotionals, all kinds of Bible plans out there, all kinds of Christian books on almost any subject you could think of is available to us. And then we have on 24-hour TV, online, radio, and we can hear sermons, messages, talk shows every, day, every hour of the day, every day of the week. We have all this Christian information coming towards us. And I'm not saying it's necessarily all bad, but the same dangers relate to us that can relate to information received every day in the world. And that is, first of all, we can become satisfied that we have heard, that we have heard all these sermons. We've heard all these scriptures even. We've read all these Christian books without doing anything about them. <clears throat> a story is told about a man who has wanted to come, he has applied to go to a new church. So he preached this wonderful sermon and the people said, wow. This is the man for the job. So he came to the church and he preached the same sermon the next Sunday that he had preached when he had preached what they call the first time. And the people were very surprised. And then he preached the following week the same sermon. And after a while, the leader said, there's something wrong, there's something doesn't quite right here. So they approached him and had to find out what's going on. And he assured them he knew what he was doing. He says, when you start living out this sermon, I'm going to go on to my next one. So, so you know, we can hear week after week. We can hear Dan speak. But... Are we doing anything with it? We can open up Bibles day after day, but are we doing anything with it? We can read Christian books galore, but are we doing anything with it? And the other danger is that by taking in so much 
Christian stuff and not doing anything with it, we actually become insensitive to God's voice. We become comfortable because we've taken it in, but we become insensitive because we have not responded. We've not put it into practice. Jesus said, those who merely hear my words and don't put them into practice is like the man who built on the sand. We may feel good, we may look good to others, but the Christian life isn't about appearances or feelings. It's about hearing God's word and putting it into practice. Do you remember the time that Jesus was in a house speaking and it's crowded, full of people, just packed in and his family, his mother and his brothers came looking for him. Actually, in, I think it's Mark's version, it says they thought he was out of his mind because he wasn't eating right. You know, parents concerned make sure their children eat right. But, so, but Matthew doesn't mention that. But anyway, they send a word, they send word in, pass it through the crowds, and word comes to Jesus, say, if your mother's out there and your brother's out there, they want to see you. And Jesus, instead of doing anything, I don't know if he ever did go see him or not, but he takes it as a teaching point. And he looks around at those sitting immediately around him who would be his close disciples. And he, and he asks the question, who is my mother and my brothers? And he says, here are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Well, as Luke says it, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus isn't necessarily diminishing the value of our natural families here. But he is pointing out that those who are closest to him are those that do God's will, are those who put it into practice. At the close of Matthew's Gospel, we read what is often termed the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is that what Jesus said? Actually, I took a few words out. Because we often, we almost pass over it like these words aren't there. At least I do. So, I assume most things that happen to me probably happen to somebody else. So, maybe I'm special, but not likely. But. Did Jesus say, teaching them everything I commanded you? No. He said, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Jesus isn't looking for information-based discipleship. He is looking for obedience-based discipleship. It's not enough for us to know doctrines about God and to know commands of God 
is putting what God says into practice is what God desires and expects of us. It's obedience. Now, obedience is not one of those fuzzy, warm, fuzzy words in that society. Unless you send your dog to obedience school, then you're kind of glad of those things are obedience. But we don't use that term a lot, obedience, because these days it kind of has a, sometimes a negative ring to it. And, and, and some of that's a reaction in a society to authority, because we all are familiar in the past hundred years or so about authorities, how, whether it be in government, be in church, be in other organizations, be in family, how they have abused their power, and how people blind, in blind obedience have followed these authorities and great to great harm in our world and in our society. So to many of us, obedience can be a challenge. We question, does it make sense? Do I really got to do this? Can I get away out doing this? And especially we can, when it comes to God, obedience. Mm. We may struggle with that, obeying God. Now, obedience in Scripture, we see, is an outcome of a relationship with God. It flows out of who God is and what he's done for his people. In the Old Testament, what we call the Old Covenant, in Exodus 19 and 20 and throughout Exodus, and then you can see it can repeat it in the book of Deuteronomy, we see God makes an agreement with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. He makes a covenant, very similar to the covenants agreements of that day and age, the way it's structured. And the agreements of that day and age began with the the, what's the word? Not the greater party is addressed first, and then the lesser party. In this case, we know the greater party is God. The lesser party is the Israelites. And God begins to say to the Israelites, He reminds them. Now, remember, now they've been out of Egypt. They're near what's called Mount Sinai, and He reminds them all He's done for them in Egypt how he set them free from the Egyptians through the plagues, and how he brought them out, not in poverty, but in riches. And he, he says to them, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Then it's out showing who he is, what he's done to them, and then he calls for obedience. He says, now, if you obey, me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we see the basis of obedience for the Israelites was on who God is, what He'd done, and on the other side, what He promises He would do for them. It's kind of sandwiched in the middle. And this, we see this in the New Testament, or what we call now the New Covenant, which Jesus brought into place. In Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul reminds us of our state before we knew Christ. We were dead, dead in transgressions and sins. We were trying to gratify the cravings of our flesh. We just fall in our flesh and its thoughts. We were in a hopeless, helpless, lost state. We were grappling for the next best thing, hoping that somehow it would satisfy that restlessness within us. That's in every human, because of that disconnect that occurred when Adam disobeyed God. It's that restlessness because we've been disconnected. So we look for other things, other people to satisfy us. But then Paul goes on. That's the way you wear But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We're dead, but because of his love, his great mercy, he made us alive with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. And Paul says, this calls for a response on your part. God's shown his love to you. He's lifted you out of this hopeless state. And he's given you new life. He's placed his spirit in you. Out of, and that response is to love him. And out of love we say yes to what God has done for us in Jesus. In love we say yes, I will follow you. Now, to follow Jesus isn't just to, he's way over there and we can't look in. It's to be near him and to obey him, to put into practice what he is telling us to do. How can we follow him if we don't put into practice what he is following us to do? Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 23, he said to anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's love that leads to obedience. As we know the love of God, we respond in love and obedience. Now, from my own personal experience, I know that sometimes when we hear a lot about obedience, we can get very concerned about getting caught up in law-keeping. I know this from years ago when I was influenced by a certain group. You know, I was very into following Old Testament laws, and and I was really caught up into law-keeping. And I know it can weigh some of us down when we talk about obedience. So it's very important that we get everything lined up the right way. That obedience is not what saves us. It's, it's God's grace that we already heard from Paul. It saves us. We've got to get that down first. It's God's gift of salvation to us. Our acceptance in becoming a child of God isn't based on our accomplishments. 
by us accepting what God, Christ has accomplished for us. Our acceptance in becoming a child of God isn't based on our accomplishments, but it's based on accepting what Christ has accomplished for you and I. Where Christ finished off is our starting point. He has done it all. So we can't add to anything he's done. We can just follow him. So it is by God's grace we are saved, not by our obedience. But God's grace does not leave us the way he found us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, Paul speaks of God's grace and he says, his, and God's grace is really his energizing power at work within us. It's the Holy Spirit at working within us. And he says, God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace isn't simply to give us a place in heaven. If we think that's all it is, we have really missed out on a lot. God's grace that energizing his energizing presence is to change us now. Otherwise, he might have just taken us out of here as soon as we came to know him. But he didn't. He came, he left us here so we might be transformed and display his beauty to others around him that they too might come to know him. So obedience is our response to God's grace working within us. It's our demonstrable yes. You know, you can't really truly say yes without doing something. You know, as I would say some of you, one of you today, yes, I will come to your place on Tuesday night and help you tidy up your garage. Say yay. And Tuesday night comes and I don't show up. And then you say, hmm. My yes didn't. Yes needs to be demonstrated. And when we say yes to Jesus, we need to follow through. We need to listen to what he's saying, obey him, and put it into practice. <clears throat> so let's get practical. How can this happen? First of all, let's talk about scripture reading. Remember, when you're young, your mothers may have said to you, when you, before supper, Wash up, make sure you use water and soap. Water and soap. Anybody ever hear that? Maybe water is the first thing, but water and soap. <clears throat> so I just have a little acronym today. It's not original to me, and you can, <clears throat> you can Google it, and you can go into imagery, and you can find out in case you don't remember what I said. So soap. Use scripture and soap. Use soap and scripture doesn't matter. So S. S is simply scripture. Read scripture. Read a few verses and then begin to focus on maybe one to four verses in those verses. So yeah, it seems to be speaking to you. O is for observation. So we have S is for scripture. O is for observation. And I know some of you 
I'm just throwing this out because somebody here may not have, you may wonder, how do I apply scripture? So, oh, just observe what you see. Do you see repeated words? When I read this passage two weeks ago, I saw, I saw <clears throat> the different, how it's mentioned about the houses and mentioned about things over and over. I saw the wise man contrasting the wise man to the foolish man. So I just under, so observe, write out those. Actually, the writing out comes in the, I should have said, the writing out comes in the scripture part. Write out your four verses first, and then observe them, underline, mark them up. Now you can, I mean. And then, of A is for application. So scripture, O, observation, A, application. Ask God, how does this apply to my life today, this week? How can I apply this? And then P is for prayer, and I've added the word practice to it. If you go online, most of them won't have practice, but that's all right. I like changing things, because that way, you want to pray back to what God's showing you, asking for strength and courage, and to show you, how can I apply this today? And then go and practice it. So soak your scriptures, scriptures, observation, application, prayer, and, and practice. And again, if you want, I can tell you where to find that, or you can look it up yourself. But I just want to just encourage you not just to read Scripture and go away feeling good that you read. Now, that's a good start, so I don't want to downplay that, because I know sometimes for some of us it's a struggle even to read the Scripture. So, so reading is a good start. But, that's, but then I just want to move you on to application and <clears throat> and practicing it. So that's one thing. Another thing is to let's get beyond this more is better mentality. Let's not see how many sermons we can listen to in the week or how many books, Christian books we can read or how many Christian talk shows we can listen to or even how many chapters we can read in the week. And again, I'm not, I'm obviously not against you reading the Bible, so don't get me wrong here. <clears throat> but I found from my own experience, especially on some reading plans, you're reading so many chapters a day at times, like, oh, I gotta get through this, I gotta get through this. And <clears throat> it's checking the box off that I've read the scriptures, but why, have we, why has God spoken through, to me through them? Thank you. So let's not see how much we can read, listen to this week. Let's see how much we can practice. I heard a missionary from Indonesia say, better a little and put into practice than a lot nothing done with. Better a little put into practice than a lot nothing done with. Let's also remember God speaks in many ways. It's not just the scripture God speaks to us. It's not true sermons or Christian books. God speaks through nature. God speaks through conversation. God speaks through movies. 
You know, this last week I had a, I was outside doing something and I remembered that uh, line from that movie Jingle All the Way where Arnold Schwarzenegger. Actually, I tell my kids I don't like this movie. I don't like this movie. I think, I think the guy's a lousy father, so I don't... <laughs> so the movie really bothers me when I watch it. <laughs> so, but... <clears throat> but there's a line in it and it's, it's stuck with me. And the Lord spoke to me through that line this week and pointed out that I need to act on this, on this line. So don't limit how God's going to speak to you. But when he does, don't downplay it if it's just because it's not in Scripture. If God speaks to you <clears throat> through someone's license plate, don't say, oh, that's just a license plate. It can't mean nothing. But God knows you very personally, what, how what will speak to you. So when he speaks, obey it and put it into practice. What happens <clears throat> when we... Excuse <clears throat> what happens when we fail? What happens when we fail, as we do? Well, for one thing, don't, let's not rationalize it. Let's not say, why well, I did it, whatever you did or didn't do, because everyone else did, does it or doesn't do it. So let's not rationalize it. On the other hand, let's not wallow in self-pity and think, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. God's never going to change this in my life. I'm never going to be able to get beyond this. So we don't want to rationalize it. We don't want to wallow in self-pity. We want to confess it. Confess it to God because in 1 John we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all all unrighteousness. So even when we fail, we can come to the one. We just have to admit it. Admit that we failed. And then move on. Say, let's move on. And again, let's seek to be obedient. Now sometimes in life we seem to have these ongoing, we just can't seem to get victory in areas. And here I believe James helps us in James 5.16. He says, confess your faults or your sins, depending on which version you read. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sometimes confession to God is, is not, it's not enough. I mean, it's enough in that, he for, in that he forgives us, but we seem stuck. And we need to talk to someone. And we need to share our struggle and have them pray for us and walk along the journey with us. May you hold us accountable when you, maybe next week. What'd you do? How did it go this week in that area of your life? You know, just people walking with us. <clears throat> a while ago, <clears throat> excuse me, a while ago, a friend shared with me his journey with Christ. It was a remarkable story. Now, this 
this friend was quite a bit younger than me, and he'd come to Christ a lot later in life than I did. But I noticed with, this, with my friend, as he shared the story, and as I know him, that he seemed farther along the journey than I was. And as I reflected on that, I realized that the big thing in his life was instant obedience. Instant obedience. Even when things were, didn't always make sense, even when it cost him at times dearly, he obeyed God. He put it into practice what God is showing. <clears throat> so we may look back on our lives and we say, well, when I came to know the Lord, you may say, nobody really taught me about obeying, this obey- obedience being so important. But now we know. If we didn't know it before, today you know now that it's obedience that God seeks. He finds pleasure in our obedience. And through obedience, we can grow in Him. Are you wanting to have a life that stands firm through all circumstances of life? Then put into practice what God has been saying to you these past few days. Are you wanting to move forward in your walk with God and put into practice what God is telling you? So we're going to pray now. And just as we pray, I just want you to take a few moments right now and just ask the Lord what he wants you to do, whether it's from this message this morning or something he's been showing you in these past few days, or maybe it's been months, just ask him, what does he want you to put into practice? Thank you, Father, for what you're speaking to your people. Thank you that you delight to speak to us in many ways. And we are listening. And we ask now that you just help us in these next hours of this day, in these days of this week, to put into practice what you've shown us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.